get your ducks in a row, have your strategies, have your stories, and realize that once you get a donation or an investment, that's when the real work begins. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast, the podcast by successful small business owners for business owners like you, so you can grow a strong and profitable business and use something you learn on this podcast today. Our guest is Sherry Hornbunk of the Taft College Foundation, and she's going to guide us on the importance of continuing connections, finding reasons to talk to people, and why you need to develop relationships and don't let them go. But before we get into this wide-ranging conversation, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. At Claro Tire Company, we know that you want to be safe and secure riding on tires from a family who cares about your family as much as we care for our own. In order to do that, you need quality tires from a family you trust. The problem is, is that there are a hundred different national tire stores in town and their buying process is a chore and they treat you like a faceless number. We believe that you and your family are an extension of our family. We understand the noise you feel with the hundreds of faceless different tire companies that treat you like a faceless number. And that is why we at Claro Tire Company have one of the largest repeat customer bases in Kern County for the last 77 years. Here's how we do it. When you come into Claro Tire, you're not just a number, you become family. We select the specific tire that's the safest for your family, your car, and your budget. We install your tires and give you an unconditional guarantee on your tires. Join the Claro Tire Company family at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California, or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. Stop the feeling of faceless confusion from 100 different national tire stores. Join the family with the Claro Tire Company family. You'll be glad you did. Claro Tire Company, 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California. Or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. As a business owner, you are a visioneer, and you are ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than your mainstream competition. But what about your message? If your clients and customers don't clearly understand what you can do for them, you are leaving money on the table. If you confuse, you lose. Here at Small Business Celebration, we have a seven-step solution that can clarify your message and put you in the game. Don't leave money on the table. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule an introduction today. Welcome, Visioneers. I'm Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast. And our guest today is Sherry Hornbunk, uh, who is the Executive Director of Institutional Advancement and Foundation for the Taft College. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. 
Now, for those of you who hear a slight bit of echo and reverb in the background, it is because we are conducting this interview here in the library of Seven Oaks Country Club here in Bakersfield, California. And so if you hear some other sounds in the, back, in the background with a wait staff coming in and out and that sort of thing, that's why. It's because this is an active restaurant, and uh, this is also a wonderful place to have a podcast and as well as a nice fine meal. And to get things started, for those of you who don't know Sherry Hornbunk, she is quite the fixture in the fundraising and social community here in Bakersfield, California. Thank you. (laughs) And recently, she was named the 2015 Businesswoman of the Year by the Taft Chamber of Commerce for putting on the West Kern Petroleum Summit there in 2015. And she has also received more numerous awards and recognitions. And if we want to do a seven-part volume series on <laughs> Sherry's career, we, we could probably list them all. Before we get into the, your work with the foundation and the upcoming event that's happening next week, I want to start off by talking about your business background because you are when you were hired by the foundation to raise money for the college you were hired because of your business acumen your business background and your business skills you were not a professor who was hired in to raise fundraise for the college like a lot of foundation uh, directors are yes And so tell us a little bit about, for example, when you got started in business and the business that you helped go public and that sort of thing. Well, thank you, Michael. Gosh, where do I start? At the age of 13. No, (laughs) just kidding. Um, Well, you know, it really did start at 13. I I found myself not having any money and I asked my mother, Mom, I I really want to make some money. And I had been reading about something that you could knock on people's doors in the summer and invite them to buy your Christmas cards and come back in October or November and you could have their name printed on them. Mm. And back then that was a big deal because we didn't have printers and, you know, put names on things. So mom used to hang out in the middle of the road and I would go from door to door. And in the summer I would sell these Christmas cards and I got pretty good at it Mm. and I got a bike and I made some money. So that probably started my feeling for being an entrepreneur. And Mm -hmm. I always thought I, I kind of was and, um, raised more money as the senior class president and student body president of my high school ever in history. Uh, We had great parties. So it just, it kind of started me loving to talk to people and raise money. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I I realized I didn't really want to be on the poor side of life. So Mm -hmm. I went to, I moved to Los Angeles from my small town, Madera, Mm -hmm. and was very fortunate to meet some people that invited me to come in and be a what they called headhunter. Mm. So those were people that found people to take jobs. And and really back in the mid 80s, mm-hmm. companies paid a lot of money for a computer programmer because America didn't really produce a lot at the time and a lot of them came over from overseas and if you could find one that could fit inside of an organization, mm. they paid you handsomely. And I loved being a headhunter. I loved it. And the funny thing is, well, kind of the scary thing was it was straight commission. Mm. I mean, to think about it, I moved to Los Angeles. I have no friends, no job, no money. And I go on straight commission. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I made some good money. And pretty soon after a couple years, gosh, I got to move to Marina Del Rey and buy a new BMW. And I felt I was rolling. My mom and dad were so proud. Nice. And um, it was really exciting. 
<clears throat> a company in Torrance contacted me from an old friend of mine I'd gone to work there that I'd worked with originally. And they invited me into, they weren't a headhunting company, but he had told them what I had done. And they invited me in to just sort of sit in this large office and do what I did. So I went there. And they did a lot of things. They were sort of a think tank. Mm. Um, Jack Benton uh, taught economics at USC, and he was very fancy on verbal and voice and face language. He made all of us study that. And it was just kind of this think tank to get better. Mm. And Jack Benton and his team actually ended up inventing the software that taught all of the um, ATMs to talk to each other so we could go to any bank and get money. So they were just experts in software and finance and everything. And I'm in this one room headhunting. (laughs) <laughs> because somebody told them that I could make a lot of money for them. So they paid me a percentage, and I placed people. And finally, um, Jack's boss, the president, came over, and he knocked on the door when he came in. And he said, what are you doing over here? Because they saw money coming in. Right. And I said, well, I'm just talking to people and asking them if they want to change jobs. And then I'm finding an employer and getting the job from the employer, and I'm matching them up. And they pay handsomely, like I said. He goes, this is great. Can you grow it? I said, Sure. So I started calling people, and pretty soon we had about 18 people working for me, and we were rolling. We were making a lot of money. <clears throat> the hurtful thing, or maybe it was the best thing that ever happened to me, sometimes you think it's bad, but it might be good, Right? is they spun us off to two gentlemen, the former president of Xerox, Bill Brown, and the former president of Tycor Business Systems, John Flood. They wanted a business because mm-hmm. they were retiring. Mm. So they spun me and my 18 friends off, and we went. And we grew the business. And a few years later, they allowed me to help them take it public. We took it public. And 10 years later, we sold it to a gentleman up in Bellevue, Washington. Hmm. The name of the company was Data Dimensions. <laughs> and so it was quite, quite the story and quite the adventure. Right. Learned a lot. Very all before I was 30 years old. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> and, yeah. And what brought you to beautiful Bakersfield? Well, you know, it was, it's always love, isn't it? Love affairs, things <laughs> that, like that. That's what happened in my case, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, I was living in Redondo Beach at the time and thought, well, you know, I'm about 30-ish. Isn't it time to get married? I kind of missed the valley, you know, because I did, I did grow up in the valley. I'm from mm-hmm. Madera, California. Mm-hmm. And um, I came back, and, you know, that particular love affair didn't quite work out. But if, about a month later, I met this gentleman mm-hmm. that was everything against anything I would have ever chosen in life. Mm. Um, But we now have been married 27 years. (laughs) (laughs) So again, sometimes you think it's not the good thing, but it is a good thing. So do we, do we, do we fight the things that are going to teach us the most difficult lessons in life? Right. I think we do. We do. And so um, my husband has taught me great lessons and you know, that's what love's about fighting and arguing and learning and growing and loving and all these wonderful things that you do with each other. And, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a good life. Yeah. It's been, it's, and it's been a good Bakersfield. So I came here about 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what led you to working for the Bakersfield Symphony Orchestra? Oh, and that's where we met. Ah, that is. Ah, Michael. Um, (laughs) well, you know, I came here and I had to find a job. So I went into radio and television Mm -hmm. for quite a while. And my last, last position, um, it was a good one, but my neighbor, he was kind of an innovative guy. And he said, Sherry, I have this technology that allows you to go into the car dealer system, download the VIN numbers. If you're familiar with VIN numbers, Mm -hmm. there's a VIN Mm -hmm. number on each car. And you can put them on the Internet. And I said, 
the internet, really? <laughs> and this was night. This was two thousand. Mm-hmm. So although it was only nineteen years ago, boy, have things changed. Oh yeah. And so um, I said that technology sounds great, and I'd come from the um, television business where I knew all the auto dealers. Nice. So my friend Steve and I went and we made a presentation to the new car dealership, and I'll never forget that day. We told them about our technology, and we told them what our technology would do, and we had crafted the word bakersfieldads.com. That was a big deal. And this was going to be the site where people could shop for cars online. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Earth-shattering. It was earth-shattering. And all the auto dealers, except for two in the room, said, why would anybody shop for a car online? I mean, my God, people want to come and drive it, and they want to see it, and they want to touch it. And Steve and I said, well, yeah, I mean, you, you eventually want them to get there. I said, but what this can do is it can create leads for your salespeople. And pretty soon they started listening because right. I'm a salesperson. So right. I, I said, listen, they'll, they'll come through our website. They'll say, oh, I'm interested in that car. I said, we get that data. And then what we're able to do is pass that along to your particular sales managers. And then they can rifle those out to who they see fit. So they not only know a little bit more because the person replied to a particular car, Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives the salesperson a little more information to maybe be able to sell it. So sure. um, <clears throat> I'll never forget Dick Strickland, who owns Motor City, City Lexus. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked at Steve and I and he said, and he looked at everybody and said, you know, I think they're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind of the leader in the group. Sure, sure. You know, more of a senior gentleman. Uh-huh. And everybody said, okay, we'll get on board. So that group helped us form Bakersfieldads.com. And we ran it for a couple years. And uh, then we ended up selling it. So... Uh, I, that was, that was a great start. So what happened was here I am, I worked on that for a while. I'm kind of doing all the marketing and taking pictures of cars. I did a little bit of everything. I get this call from a good friend now that has passed on Mr. Milt Younger. Mm. And he says, uh, hello, Sharia. We've uh, noticed you can raise money. And I don't know where he found me (laughs) because I didn't know him, but I said, well, yeah, I've raised some money and I, and he knew I had a bit of a musical background because, right. you know, I've been a musician a lot of my life, starting as a kid in, when I was 11. And he said, we'd like you to come to, we'd like to talk to you about coming to the symphony, maybe raising some money. And I thought, oh my God, go to the symphony and raise money. Wow, <laughs> is that out of my box? And I told him no first. I'm like, no, I'm really not interested. And then um, he called back later. And my husband said, Sherry, go talk to them. There, you know, there might be something going on here. So long story short, that's how I went. And uh, when I started raising money philanthropically mm-hmm. and talking to people about the needs that companies have, mm-hmm. things changed for me. And I realized, oh, this is good. Mm. This is really good. And a lot of people don't like raising money. I truly love it. Sure. And I think that's where I shifted. And uh, had a great time with the symphony. Raised a lot of money, did a lot of great events, you know. And so that's how I got there. And how is raising money for a nonprofit similar to raising money for, for example, seed money for a startup? Right. How, how, is, how are the two roles similar? The roles are very similar. And I think people that are starting a business as well as raising money for a nonprofit align mm. and, and very much. Your strategies and your stories have to be clear why you're doing it, who it's for, and what you're going to be doing for it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> often, like with business and fundraising, the work starts when somebody gives you money. 
Right. Right? Right, right. right. So let's say you're starting a business and somebody invests in you. Well, they want to know how you're doing. Are things going well? Are you becoming profitable? Am I going to make a return on my money? Mm -hmm. Well, the same with someone in philanthropy. They give you money because you've developed a relationship with them and they believe in you and what you're supporting. But they don't go away. They, they'll stay on your board. They'll come and visit. They'll come have lunch. They'll come visit the students. They want to know that what they gave to you is actually making an impact. People don't, like you and I, we don't want to just give our money away to anything. We want to know that it goes for a good cause. And I think that's where the strategies align. Mm. Get your ducks in a row, have your strategies, have your stories, and realize that once you get a donation or an investment, that's when the real work begins. And that engagement has to be solid mm. and ongoing. And how do you continue on with that engagement? Well, you know, you find reasons to have lunches and events and always keep the person, if they're, if they're involved in social media, isn't that a wonderful way to keep people engaged? It is. Yes, and it's been so helpful for us at Taft College. But I think um, you have to take the time to make a phone call or visit. You know, I have people that are elderly now that have given to the institution, and they don't get out of the house much. But my team and I will go over and we'll pick up lunch, and we'll say, can we stop by and have lunch with you? And they'll come out of their bedroom and they'll sit at the table with us. And we will laugh and joke and tell stories and eat and have the best time. Sometimes that's all it takes. But you stay, you, you stay in touch. You don't forget about people. One of the things that it sounds like, too, on this is the, one of the major similarities of this is that you have to have a business plan. Yes. It's, it's, yes. It, it sounds basic and rudimentary and fundamental, but either whether it doesn't matter if you're doing nonprofit fundraising or you're starting a business, whether you're going to a banker for your business or an investor for your business or you're going to a donor, you have to have a plan of action and you have to have a business plan to be able to put this together. That's right. And your plan, you have to allow for flexibility in your plan because there will be changes. Mm -hmm. But wait, what did my grandpa say? Without a plan, you plan to fail. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. heard that before. Sure. Um, You've got to have some sort of structure. I mean, that's why institutions of higher education have strategic plans. That's why small businesses develop business plans. You have to know where you're going or who knows where you'll end up. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, you have, to, you have to stick to something. And if you're raising money, people want to know you have a plan. Right, Nobody right. wants to give money to people that are just haphazardly out there running around saying they're going to do something. I mean, you have to have a plan. And you have to be able to define what success is. Yes, be good point. Good point. And because success can be different from person to person, value to value, and, and how that success looks. What are some of the examples that you've run into both in the business world and in the foundational world that define what success is? I think it boils down to who the people are in the organization. Mm -hmm. I think employees and, and staff are everything. Mm -hmm. I think your people have to be of the highest ethical standards. They have to be likable and friendly. And what I find with the two wonderful people that work for me now is they're willing to make the investment. Mm. there's a lot of folks that come to work from nine to five and they accomplish great things and they do great work. But if you're going to start a business and really make it successful or start a foundation mm -hmm. or build a foundation, it takes a little bit more and you have to be willing to invest. For me, sometimes those phone calls come in at 
any given time sure. or any time of the day or any time of the year. And you have to be willing to take that time and spend that time with someone. So I think your biggest resource are the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. I think it's everything. Mm-hmm. The plan. The plan, of course, is, 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 is a big success indicator. And then also thinking out of the box. A lot of people get stuck in a box. Thinking outside the box. Tell us about when you were with the Bakersfield Symphony and the baseball music project. <laughs> oh, I loved working at the symphony so much. And um, I noticed I'd go to the symphony, you know, during the season every Saturday night. And I'd look over to my left because I used to sit off to the right. And we really had a graying audience. Mm-hmm. And, and let's face it. I mean, um, our seniors love you know, uh, symphonic music. I do too. I'm getting there now, but, <laughs> but they loved it. And I looked over and the, and the audience was shrink, shrinking season ticket sales was kind of going down. I thought, well, what can we do to sort of think out of the box, right? right? Uh, bring in a new audience, uh, bring in folks that would never go to a symphony orchestra. Why would they come? So, um, there was a lady that worked at the symphony, Mary, she Mary plays, the cl- she plays the clarinet. Yeah. Mary Moore. Mary Moore, wonderful lady. She says, Sherry, look at this. And she had torn something out of a magazine. And it was called the Baseball Music Project. And they were looking for symphonies to maybe take it on and try to uh, promote it in their regions. And I thought, this is cool. So I made some calls. I looked around. I thought, who loves baseball in town? There were a few key people. Joe Colombo. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people that would help support it. Sure, sure. So we decided to bring it on. And with the support of the conductor, John Fair, we brought in the Baseball Music Project, and I think we raised more money than any one particular symphony had ever raised. I think it was close to 180000 We sold out Robobank. Every seat, every place, everywhere. And if you're not, and for those of you listening who are not familiar, the Robobank Theater holds 3,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it was sold out. And Dave Winfield, mm-hmm. the famous Dave Winfield, baseball and football hero, right. was the uh, sort of the speaker during the Baseball Music Project Symphony Orchestra. And they would play great songs from old-time baseball. And, and then Dave Winfield would tell stories. And it was incredible. And, you know, for, for those of in our community that know George Culver, he's like our local baseball hero, uh, you know, pitched for the pitching coach for the Dodgers, played at North High. I mean, grew up here. George Culver sat next to me that night, mm-hmm. and I will never forget. God, I kind of get emotional. Um, <laughs> George Culver sat next to me, and during the whole whole thing, hopefully he won't mind, tears rolled down his face. Mm. It was such a moving night for him to listen to all the old music and be so moved by this wonderful orchestra and these fabulous baseball stories. And then, above, of course, above the symphony, was a full-blown screen of, you know, life-size pictures of all the famous uh, baseball stars and whatnot. It was just a great evening and, um, you know, something I'll, I'll never forget. And, it you know, it goes down as one of the great ones, you mm-hmm. know, for the symphony, one of the great fundraisers. I think, um, you know, they've, they've done some, but, you know, they're, they're morphing. They have a new uh, orchestra leader now, Stelion. He's very good. He is. So they're, they're doing things. But that was a wonderful memory, wonderful evening. Yeah. And you've transitioned from there with a couple different other exciting opportunities in life, and you ended up landing at Taft College. Now, Mm -hmm. for those of you who aren't familiar, Taft is a little bit out of the way from Bakersfield. Yeah. (laughs) About 40 miles west. (laughs) And it's a community that 
has had its historical importance of, in the oil and the teapot dome scandal and all kinds of great things from yesteryear. But it's mm-hmm. a community that you have to want to go through and go to. You, you can't just ha- by chance fall into Taft. Mm-hmm. And this was a very unique opportunity for you. And how did that play out? What, what brought you to Taft? <laughs> Boy, wasn't it? You know me, I love to take those interesting leaps in life. Um, You know, I was, when I left the symphony, I was offered a job at CSU Bakersfield, which I loved working at CSU Bakersfield. It was two blocks from my house. And honestly, I raised a ton of money and it was my first adventure into higher education. Mm -hmm. And I felt very fortunate to get into higher education at that point in my life. And uh, gosh, I enjoyed it so much. I thought I will be here the rest of my life. I get a call from a gentleman that I knew. He was the president of Taft College, Willie Duncan. Uh, great guy. He says, Sherry, we need someone to come here and start our foundation. And uh-oh, startups. <laughs> uh-oh, I'm such a sucker. <laughs> and I thought, Taft. And I knew that my friend Janice Varner and other people that I'd played golf with throughout the years had grown up in Taft and told me about Taft. But I didn't know much about Taft. I I knew that there was a, a large oil many oil fields that surrounded it. And I knew a little bit when I thought, well, I'll drive out there and go talk to them. They wanted to interview me. Heck I'll drive out there. Well, I drove out there. I got on my car. I said, I'm not driving to Taft every day. This is too far. <laughs> so I get, I get upstairs and I walk in and the four or five guys that were interviewing me are still some of my best buddies. One was Bob Hampton, mm-hmm. who is, um, he's an alum. He's the owner of, uh, West side waste management. And he's the president of the foundation board. And he was interviewing me. And the other one was Don Zumbro, which (laughs) my gosh, he's an alum and he worked there. These, these men were historical figures in Taft. I didn't know, but all I know is that they interviewed me. They told me they liked me. They called me kid, which I appreciated (laughs) because they were a bit older. And, um, I walked out of that room and I walked, I, I went down the elevator and I put my hand on my car. I remember on the, to get into my car and I thought, I'm going to be going to Taft every day. I just knew it. <laughs> and a lot of people would have never said, gosh, who would leave a university like that? You know, you're right close to it. You're raising a lot of money. I was right in the middle of my graduate degree mm-hmm. in the middle. They were paying for it. Right. And I left. Talk about a big risk. Yeah. I mean, they were paying for my education. Sure. And I knew if I left, I was going to have to pay for it myself. So, uh, yeah, I accepted the job and I went out there and I thought, I'll do this for a couple of years and I'll grow, I'll, I'll grow the business. And then maybe I'll go back to CSUB because, you know, maybe I'll go to something else. But I thought I, there's no way I'll be out here for a long time, but, um, that's how it started. And, um, I went out there and they, they had nothing. They didn't even really have a lot of copies of checks. There'd been a few donations and they kind of went, here's the phone book kid. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm best. I'm best. If somebody doesn't really give me a roadmap. Sure. I really am because I kind of look around, I go, okay. So I went to Bob Hampton and I said, okay, give me some help, Bob. (laughs) And he did. He, he kind of gave me a little direction, but, um, you know, that's how it started. And so, uh, it's been a wonderful journey. Wonderful journey. And tell us a little bit about the foundation and what you raise money for. Oh, my goodness. Well, Taft College is a rural community college, Mm -hmm. and a lot of our um, more technical degrees um, rally around energy, oil, Mm -hmm. solar, wind, water. Mm -hmm. And um, throughout the years, there's been a lot of different things I've raised money for, but some some of the key fundraisers have been for one of the most unique programs 
in the country, I don't say the world, but probably it's called our transition to independent living program, which there's nothing like it in the country. Mm -hmm. In fact, UCLA and Fresno copied us and we (laughs) let them because there's nothing like it. And it serves uh, post-secondary folks out of high school Hmm. who have intellectual disabilities and autism. They come and they actually live with us on campus Hmm. for their first year. And then the second year, we make them even more independent by putting them in houses that we rent and own in Taft. Hmm. Um, there's about 60 students a year that are with us. They come into the cafeteria. Our cafeteria looks like the melting pot of the world. Mm-hmm. We have people in there with autism, intellectual disabilities. Our athletic director, she recruits from Hawaii because that's where she's from. So we have Samoans and Hawaiians. And then we are Hispanic-serving institutions. So we have everybody else in there. So... You go into the cafeteria and you're like, where am I? Oh, yeah, this is Taft. <laughs> but let me go back to the Transition Independent Living Program. Um, it's, been, it's been recognized worldwide. It started in 1994. Wow. The outcomes are higher than any other intellectual disabilities program to be found. About 87% of the students that graduate from our program go into jobs mm-hmm. because the last year at Taft, they all work for people in Taft nice. that allow us to give internships to our students. And the transit system in Taft comes and picks them up at the Center for Independent Living and takes them to their jobs. So they learn how to, to maneuver through you know public transportation. Nice. And then they learn to live on their own. And then we give them budget lessons and how to do laundry and how to cook. Our kitchen there is fourfold with gas and electric. So the bottom line is we produce success right there. People with disabilities. The other programs, we have a wonderful engineering program where we create success that's just been endowed by a wonderful woman named Madeline Hutchison. And I met her and Stan, her husband, in 2011. Stan was a World War II veteran, 73 patents with Chevron over his lifetime career here in town. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the most amazing people I know. He, I asked him at the time, I said, so Stan, where are you going to leave all your money? Because, you know, that's the kind of questions <laughs> I ask. <laughs> and I knew that he didn't have any children, and I knew that he was 92 at the time. And he said, well, you know, Sherry, I went to Cal Berkeley, and I got a petroleum engineering degree there. And he goes, they don't have petroleum engineering anymore, but they do have engineering, and I've started a big scholarship there, and they're, they're probably going to get all of our money. And I said, okay, well, you know, uh, Taft College has an engineering program too, Stan. And so nothing ever really came of it, but... Madeline and I have stayed in touch. And uh, I knew they had the scholarship at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And there was a young lady that graduated from our engineering program at Taft College last year. Her name was Myra Reyes. And she was from Shafter. And um, both of her parents were not educated and, um, you know, pretty much worked in the agricultural fields. Mm-hmm. But she was amazingly brilliant. Top student in our engineering program. And she says, Sherry, I want to go to Berkeley. And I go, you do? She goes, I really do. I want to be a civil engineer and I want to go to Berkeley. And I thought, oh, I'm going to call and see if Madeline can help me. Because I knew they had the scholarship there. Full ride. Full ride if you get it. And Madeline says, oh, yes, we want Kern County students. I'm like, you do? So I pushed and I called and I called people at Berkeley. And and even they told me at Berkeley, boy, this young lady's really lucky to have you on her side. I just wasn't going to give up. Well, long story short, she got in. She got it. (laughs) She's there. Not only did she get the Fulbright Hutchison Scholarship, but once they talked to her and met with her, she got the Fulbright Regent Scholarship at UC Berkeley, one of the top things you can get. Wow. So she's there, Myra Reyes. I uh, hope she comes back and 
uh, talk to our students someday, and I think she will. But we have a wonderful program based on that relationship and what happened. Building relationships and not letting people go is very important in my business. Madeline Hutchison said, gosh, Sherry, I don't think Stan would mind us helping you guys out with your engineering program. It just sounds like you have wonderful students there. So Madeline, along with a few of her friends, said, why don't we help you? So financially, they have. And we've established the Stan and Madeline Hutchison Engineering Promise at Taft College, which takes 3.0 or higher or any veteran that wants to save on their GI Bill and pursue engineering. We get them out debt-free. Wow. For two years, and we will help you transfer. And, and if you're one of the top students, you can go to Berkeley, and we will, we will help you get in. But we also have other relationships with CSU Bakersfield. They have a wonderful engineering program, uh, Cal Poly, as well as Fresno State. So um, we've been very fortunate to build that relationship with Madeline Hutchison, and I thank Stan. Stan was an incredible man, and many people listening will probably remember Stan. Excellent. Yeah. One of the things I'd like to point out, is that the for those for our listeners there's been a lot of names that have been rattled off that you have no idea who they are but they are yeah. very influential in our community <clears throat> and the reason that Sherry has been able to have contact and build relationships and friendships with these people is because she was willing to go out on a limb and give in a way that a lot of business owners should be doing and the way, what she did was she created the West Kern Petroleum Summit. <laughs> and what this did is it got some very knowledgeable and influential people together into one gigantic forum that brought a lot of attention to Taft, brought a lot of attention to Taft College. And because Sherry organized this, also brought a lot of attention to her and her foundation and brought a lot of success that she's currently enjoying for that. One of the extensions of the West Kern Petroleum Summit is the upcoming next week, the West Kern Petroleum Forum. So tell us a little bit about that. Thank you, Mike. You said that so well. Um, yeah, the brainchild be behind the original 2013 inaugural West Kern Petroleum Summit was the fact that here, I'm in Taft, I'm surrounded by the three largest oil fields in California, which produce 80% of the fossil fuels that are used in our state mm -hmm. that keep a lot of the energy going. And then Elk Hills right down the road, they produce about 80% of the natural gas for California. I mean, we're an energy center. Right. So I thought to myself, what can we do to bring everyone together to not only have um, innovation brought to us, but, but educational concepts, challenges, regulations. Let's talk about it all, right? And let's be entertained at sure. the same time. So that's kind of what started it. And the 2013, we popped a big tent up on campus. <laughs> Michael, you were there. And, I mean, it was we were out of the box. We were struggling, but... I knew we were onto something because as soon as I announced it, we sold out a room of 300 people in about three weeks. Right. I mean, it just, people went, of course we'll come to the Petroleum Summit, and it just went, 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 went. And um, it was so exciting. And uh, John Hoffmeister, who's the former president of Shell Oil and now runs Citizens for Affordable Energy out of Washington, D.C., was our keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we had a lot of politicians. Kevin McCarthy was there and... I mean, it was just such a great day. We had lots of panels, and we knew we were kind of on to something. Mm. 
because the room was full of all the leaders in Kern County in the oil and and uh, some ag industry, some some attorneys, but we had leaders in that room and they were interested and they stayed there all day. And so two years later, boom, we did another one in conjunction with the uh, wonderful oil Dorado that goes on in Taft every five years to celebrate the oil industry. So we put that on with them, and this one became huge, right, Michael? Oh, my goodness. Um, Not only did we have the keynote speaker, T. Boone Pickens, that came (laughs) in, uh, we were able to uh, garner a wonderful MC that told us he liked the oil industry, and we found out through an article, and we invited him in, Alex Trebek, host of Jeopardy. <laughs> nice. Wasn't that crazy? Great fun. It was great fun. So that particular event, I think we grew to maybe 900 people, and it was an all-day event, and um, wow, did, did we build a brand with just two events? You Big did. Big brand. They did. And this is key for business leaders to understand is you don't necessarily need to do it on that kind of a scale, but you can do it on a much smaller scale and you get what's been nicknamed masterminds group together, but you also get very, you get people involved to have influence in your community and that you will reap the benefits from that association with them as well. And so this was, and, and this is very (laughs) key to the the success of the Taft College Foundation and the money raise. Right, and those two events alone produced many internships for our students, Mm -hmm. many scholarships, many employment opportunities, um, more more funding for my programs through all of those folks. Um, They saw the college supporting their industry and in turn, they turned around and supported our college. And what came from this was something that, that happened after the 2013 uh, summit was we developed the Taft College Foundation Petroleum Partners. Mm. And three times a year, for the last five years, we get together three times a year. And we've had everything from professional development from the Hoover Institute at Stanford to regulators in from Dogger. I mean, we've we've... We've crossed all barriers, and we bring everybody together, and we have moments, moments of learning, moments of exchange. And the key to this as well is another very basic sales skill and business skill, which you mentioned earlier in our, in our conversation, was the importance of continuing to connect with the people that you do business with. And, and you going through and having those quarterly or, and semi-annually events allows you to stay top of mind with right. the people that influence your foundation and, 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 and the business. Right. And you, when you stay in touch with people, you don't want it to always be, hi, I'm calling you to ask you for money. Or, hi, right. I'm calling you to ask you for a favor. What allows us to do through the Taft College Foundation Petroleum Partners is they do, uh, they do pay an annual fee to us. And it's, it's not a lot. And we appreciate it, but allows us to move forward with other activities through this. But they get two seats to everything we do. Nice. They're, in, they're invited. Mm. See? Right. And so it works out perfectly. They're like, yeah, we got, we got to show up. I mean, this is part of what we do. And, and, and people enjoy it. And we started last year. We started a wine appreciation tour. Okay. This thing has become very popular. <laughs> so not only do we have professional development and educational moments, we take a wine tour. <laughs> so it's become a lot of fun because you have to have fun. Right, right. People right. aren't going to stick around if they're not having fun, 
right? So there's got to be fun and education, and there's got to be this sort of this broad plethora of good stuff that creates strong relationships. And relationships that last 15 years or more? Yes. Is that what we've had as a friendship there? Yes, sure. yes, we point. have. It's like 15 years. Good I know. Golly. Can you believe it? Uh, I think I'm getting old. I know. <laughs> Let's fight it. Let's fight it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sherry, this has been, you've given a wealth of information to our visioneers and our listeners. So thank you very much for coming on the Small Business Celebration podcast. Thank and you. And for our listeners, first of all, tell us uh, where they can find more information about the West Kern Petroleum Forum that's happening next week. Yes, the West Kern Petroleum Forum and our uh, keynote speaker from our first forum, John Hoffmeister, is coming back. Nice. He will be our keynote speaker. It is March 21st and it is being held at the era energy gymnasium at the west side rec district in taft if they want to get a ticket or they want to get a table i have a few left (laughs) the good news is i put it out and it just sold 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 so quickly um but we have some seats left so please if you'd like to come out we'd love to have you uh you can call us at 661-763-7936 and we will set you up Excellent. And how else can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the Taft College Foundation and the the programs that it supports? Um, Well, you can either send me an email or you can go to our, we have a website Mm -hmm. at uh, Mm taftcollege.edu and just click on the foundation link and you can read all about us. And, And how do people get a hold of you? They can contact me through S H O R N hyphen B U N K at taftcollege.edu. And I do want to let everyone know that we have a special video message coming from Alex Trebek for our forum on the 21st. He's sorry that he couldn't be here, but he films all day on Thursdays or he would have been there because he loves Taft. He does. Well, Sherry, thank you again for being on the podcast and we'll have to do this again sometime soon. I love it. Thank you. And the best of luck to you, Michael. I've been asked, who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Become a visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business in the California, San Joaquin Valley you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. 
Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.